Welcome to On Work and Revolution, where we talk about what's shaking up in the world of work and how we can make work life suck a little less. I mean, as you know, I'm always aiming for a slightly higher bar than that. I mean, I'm aiming for amazing workplace, but less sucky work life. We'll go for that too. I'm your host, Debbie Goodman, and today we have as our guest, Dorothy Dalton. Dorothy is founder of 3 Plus International. She's a global advisor and consultant on the topics of DEI, future of work, career navigation. She's a fellow doyen in executive search. I love that word, doyen. I think we can call ourselves that, right? Maybe, We've been maybe. around the block. <laughs> Dorothy publishes the most fabulous LinkedIn newsletter. We'll include this in the show notes because you should really subscribe to that. And I have just loved her commentary uh, and insights into what's shaking up in the somewhat chaotic world of work right now. And today we're chatting to Dorothy about the fascinating complexity around work norms, the many competing opinions and beliefs about what's appropriate, what's appropriate protocol, etiquette, what's right, what's acceptable, unacceptable in a world that's just kind of been shaken um, by the neck. And um, I've even had to really challenge some of my own views about like what's right. So welcome, Dorothy. Great. Hi, thank you. And nice welcome. I appreciate that. Let's start with the core battle that's being fought in the workplace all around the world, work from home or return to office. And I'd love you to share with listeners your take on why it is that by and large, it seems to be mostly the senior leaders who are really insistent on wanting to head back to the office? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky question and it's very polarized, as you know, and everybody has very specific ideas about what works and what doesn't work. And the research is quite murky, I think. So it's hard to extrapolate uh, really helpful data. And just before um, we came online, I, I actually put something out on, on a tweet out about um, who's in the office and who's not in the office. And 30% of non-executives or 35% of non-executives are back in the office compared to 19% of executives. Oh. So, but wait for it. Basically, executives have tend to have better facilities at home for, for working at home. They have the mo one of the most important things, they have greater autonomy on their work. So the non-executive who the regular employee who is being forced to go back to the office generally goes back to their pod. Um, they're, they're forced to, to, to sit there and work quite often on screen, dealing with their boss, who I've had clients tell me might be in their second home, whether it's in um, the, the Jordan or whether it's in, in Cornwall or somewhere in, in the States. But basically, a lot of people are still working, doing online meetings from their offices. Um, so that's that's one thing that has really stood out for me. So the disparity between um, senior executives who've got the capacity, the infrastructure, the spare room, the extra home, etc., to be um, continuing to do, conduct their work, but nevertheless wanting their people to go back into the office. Yeah, because um, it gives them a, a greater sense of control. And it was it was quite interesting because I, I, I haven't read it yet, but I, I will um, over the weekend, something called goal contagion, which I thought was really interesting. Goal contagion? Okay, I've, this is a new phrase. Explain. 
Basically, what it is, is that they feel people are better motivated if they can see people around them all working to the same goal. So when people are dispersed, it's much harder to buy into the common goal. So I think leaders are feeling that people are not all on the same page, going in the same direction, but they don't necessarily think it's their role to motivate them to do that. And they sometimes, in my experience, they mainly don't have the skills. Right. So the idea then about goal contagion is that by bringing people together and making them work together in person again, their motivation levels towards working towards a common vision are going to increase, even though they might feel somewhat resentful about having to dress up, schlep into the office, commute, do the thing that they wish could have been doing from home in any case. So despite that, that, that might like diminish the, uh, that might be a law of diminishing returns on, um, on the experience. That's exactly what's happening. And, and so what, so we, you have this one theory that if people are together, physically together, working for a common goal, even though their bosses might not be there, um, what we're seeing is a disconnect in employee engagement. So employee engagement is falling right off um, in, in terms of lack of career opportunities, poor salary, lack of flexibility, all of these things. But quite often, executives have that flexibility that ordinary employees don't have. It, it's inbuilt into their jobs. So going back to goal contagion, and by the way, listeners, remember you heard it here first. So if you're on trend because of unwork and revolution, just remember that. So we're hearing that, what I'm hearing is that managers mostly seem to believe that their staff are less productive working from home, less motivated, less goal focused. Um, whereas so a lot of the data that I'm reading is saying that employees, regular employees, actually believe that they are more productive. Exactly. And that, that's the disconnect. And that's why there is so much conflicting information. And that's why I, I don't have a really fixed opinion, because I find it quite difficult to pull anything concrete. After, I mean, you just think of the mixed messages that I've said in the last, like, two or three minutes alone. <laughs> right. So... So the, multiply this to all of the things going on. It's really complex. How do they measure employee engagement when something like forty percent of the global workforce says they'll leave their jobs in the next um, in the next year? That's from McKinsey. I guess um, it is a jumble, and I guess the mess is kind of to be expected. Essentially, the pandemic has disrupted a two hundred and fifty year old system of workforce management that was instituted in seventeen sixty nine when the first factory was established in like Cromford. So it's disrupted and it's still in the very messy phase. And I guess everybody's still trying to make some sense out of it. And um, we are seeing that uh, that there are many groups that um, groups of workers that despite the fact that they are actually sometimes struggling with their work from home or remote work setup, meaning single people, uh, Gen Z's, um, new workers, career moms, they they have a really hard time. Um, they're under a lot of pressure. That was also data that's just come out of a recent research report. Despite that, they still do want the flexibility and the opportunity to um, to have some time at more, more than just a little working from home and having that flexibility. I want to switch now to the multiple pressures on this return to office that's coming from the broader ecosystem. This is not just a battle between managers and their people, senior leaders or executives and everybody else. 
This is a multifaceted pressure cooker coming from investors, property realtors, businesses in office nodes. Share more about, about that. I actually don't think people, anybody, anybody is thinking about this. Everything is very much done on a macro level. I'm sorry, on a micro level, not a macro level, with just businesses making announcements quite often, um, dialing back on what they've announced. You know, big, big, lots of the tech companies have said you can work from anywhere. We want you back in the office. No, we can't. You, we're changing all of that. So a lot of people are testing to see what works. I don't think they know. But one of the things that's happening is that they're not really taking into account the impact it has, for example, on business centers, where you have um, all of this real estate, what's going to happen to that? So a lot of pressure from vested parties, if you like, is from real estate investors to get people back into, into, into business centers. Then you've got um, all the little businesses. A lot of those are female owned. You know, you've got your nail bars, you've got coffee shops, you've got cafes, you've got small supermarkets, you've got all of these things. All of this rely on people being in a physical place of work. We talked just before the call on lunch delivery services. I mean, all of those have been absolutely knocked out of the water. Concierge services, none of these are working. So these businesses are being negatively impacted. So you might have the work-life balance you have, but what about the poor worker who very often will be an in-place worker that doesn't have that flexibility? I have to, have to, have to bring up the topic of the chipped nail polish dilemma. I saw on LinkedIn, you posted a picture of somebody with chipped nail polish and that sparked a whole conversation about whether that was um, okay and appropriate. People from work, working from home, who um, perhaps are choosing to have different styles of personal grooming these days. And um, the question arose about whether having chip nail polish was important, whether it was a big deal. And the variety of commentary from that made me realize how contentious something like that would be. So I'd love your thoughts on that. I, I think also that it was the, 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 I picked this up from another person. The person was actually in the office. You know, I think we've since we've had what's been called the pajamification of work, where we're all at home in our what I call the emotion, my emotional support clothes, which I bought for the pandemic. That when people have to go back to the office, whether it's hybrid or normally, that there are certain we, we've relaxed in lots of ways, and that the whole thing is almost like in in the spin cycle. We're waiting to see how it comes out, and. And I think we have some people who are very much in favor of having old school um, dress codes um, and others that say it's an appearance bias and it makes no difference to performance. I agree with the latter. I think having chip nail polish is no reflection on anyone's competence. My personal area of, of lines of boundaries well, are around hygiene. You know, I, th I think if you're handling food, if you're in, in a medical role or something like that, I think people need to feel that they're being things that are clean and hygienic. They're my personal rule. Well, that would be, I guess, intrinsic to, to the job. But I, I think the point being that um, why does it matter whether I have chip nail polish or a broken T-shirt or wearing a hoodie or haven't brushed my teeth or, you know, whatever it is. If <laughs> Not a fan of that one. So um, I, I guess the question is arising based on the fact that up until we, up until the disruption, 
there were sort certain dress codes. Companies were quite specific about how they wanted individuals to show up in the workplace. I, I mean, we know that there have been a very particular and in some cases quite stringent and rigorous dress codes, partly gender-based, especially for women. Fortunately, in, in most instances, those have shifted and relaxed and, and changed. But I certainly know that when I was um, entering the workplace, there were certain protocols. Um, I had come from a, formerly, I was an artist. I was a, a professional dancer. I didn't have any office clothes whatsoever. I didn't even know how to dress. And so somebody had to school me on what you needed to wear in order to look appropriate and professional in a work environment. I was schooled into understanding that that was the right way to do things. In addition, it was the viewpoint, and I wonder if this was just a, an, an urban legend, but assuming that you needed to show up in a certain way, you also wanted to dress the part. We've also heard that, right, over and over and over. Dress the part. Dress it for the job you want. Dress for the job you want. Meet your client where they are. It's con been considered a sign of respect to um, to look a certain way. And so I wonder how many of those norms, those ideas are being challenged right now, because it feels like there's a lot of pressure even on those ideas that we've held as, but isn't that the way we do things? I, I, th I, think, it, I think this is, once again, it's something that's in the mix. Um, I think a lot of the old codes have gone. I mean, it was only in 2016 that in London, a young woman was sent home from work because she wasn't wearing heels. I mean, can you imagine? You're kidding. That's only six years ago. Yeah. Wow. Only six years ago. And so now that has completely changed. Um, I'm a big fan of teams setting their own guidelines and deciding what they all agree is is they they how they want to work together. You know, someone might not want to brush their teeth. Well, for me, that would be a hard no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely the hygiene factor has to go. Well, there, there's hygiene, there's safety, there's multicultural differences, obviously, um, if, if you're dealing cross-culturally. And the other thing that's quite interesting is sometimes, um, you know, I, I had a period of my life where I worked in sales and you never dress better than your client, okay? Because they would think you were earning too much money. So... Oh, how interesting. Yeah, so it, it's quite interesting if, if certainly you can see your client is going towards the hoodie and sneakers that, you know, that you don't pitch up in your, you know, your, your designer suit or whatever. So I, I think it's about reading the room and being flexible, but having agreed room rules between your teammates. Like, for example, the, a lot of organizations um, don't have perfume in the office because people have allergies. Um, this sort of thing, you know, they, you might have skin rules. So what I'm seeing as uh, needing to evolve, and one of the things that I'm advising when I'm in my advisory capacity on hybrid solutions is around establishing norms and expectations on a team-wide basis or even a company-wide basis because they have changed and they are new. And what we did early on in the pandemic has also changed. There was so much relaxation of absolutely everything in order to essentially accommodate the collective trauma of, um, of the early pandemic experience. But we've evolved since then even. There almost needs to be a recalibration, almost like a renegotiation, um, an interrogation of 
what's okay and what's not okay and why. I think to just slap on blanket policies and rules because this is the way we think or we'd like versus having a collaborative conversation, as you're saying, um, with, with groups to say, okay, when we're, when we're in just hanging out together, this is how we want to be. And when we're in, engaging with clients in a different way, perhaps there's a different mode. I noticed actually, um, I've just been in South Africa with my, with my team there, and I previously had a no jeans rule. Um, everybody knew that when we got together as a team, nobody wears jeans, and, and particularly when we, were, um, when we were out and about, when we were, um, say for example, having a, a team lunch, we were representing the company, we needed to look professional, no jeans. And that was the rule I had put in place. And then I was in Cape Town and um, I rocked up in a pair of jeans and my team were like, I could just see their jaws were on the floor. Like, how could I do that? And I realized even like my, you know, things have changed. Why on earth wouldn't I wear jeans? They're comfortable, they look fine. So I'd made a bunch of changes in my head but hadn't communicated that to the rest of the group. When I arrived, showing up in a, in a different way, they were absolutely astounded. And I wonder if they'd had a judgment against me too. You have to ask them. The most important thing is that the way you look bears no relation to your competence. So I think I think that's really important. Um, I, I think it's, it's around um, hygiene, cleanliness, and the response of pe- the people you're reacting with. So I think, I think they're the things that you have to factor in. Agreed. I think what needs to be factored in, and if I want listeners to like, what's the one of the key things that they can actually take out of this is if there hasn't been a discussion around how are we now doing things around here in all ways, but including our attire, our personal grooming, our nails. I mean, it seems that that's definitely a a hotter topic than I could ever have imagined. Um, But for we've got a lot of um, leaders, HR professionals, facilitators, coaches and consultants who um, who are listening. And this is a real conversation to have. Maybe awkward, um, could be fun and exciting um, to challenge one another on what's appropriate and why, because a lot of these ideas have just been passed on through generations and might have absolutely no relevance or merit any longer. I, I think that the key thing is to ask the question, you know, and ask the question, listen, find out what people want. I mean, you'll see from that little thread that I ha- that I ran, very polarized opinion. I think we're living in polarized times. You know, I think if people can get bent out of shape about nail polish, then, you know, they can get bent out of shape about pretty much anything. Anything, yeah. So I think it, it's about, you know, listening to the polar, polar opposites, finding something that works and then agreeing it with, with, with your team. And sometimes agreeing that we're going to try it out for a while and and review in a in a period because um, I think all of these disruptions take time to settle and have unintended consequences that we might not be able to anticipate at the outset from big decisions like returning to office and the massive impact on an ecosystem to something something smaller like whether or not to look a certain way. So Dorothy, this has been such an unbelievably interesting and fascinating conversation. We could be here for a long time, but I have committed to listeners <laughs> that I'm only I'm only expecting them to be here for 20 minutes or so. So thank you. You're in Spain right now. I'm in Spain right now and um, happily the temperature has dropped. Enjoy your workation. Thank you for spending time with me. And no, thank you for inviting me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye now. 
Thanks for hanging around all the way to the end. It would mean the world if you would rate and review on Work and Revolution on your favorite listening app. It helps people know that the show is worth listening to. And so I'll really appreciate that. Thank you so much. 